So this uh, approach meditation as uh, uh, based upon life (laughs) and which if you study the patterns of it life is always the unfinished the incomplete, the not quite um, the nearly the if only and perhaps quite a bit of oh I wish I hadn't So, um, and clearly quite a good amount of uh, interpersonal misperceptions and, yeah. And, you know, so then the Buddhist is dukkha, you could say, and yet as a characteristic, it's incomplete, not resolved, finalized, not finished, things tending to need to be held together rather than you know, supporting himself. You've got to put energy into keeping it together, and it's still un- unta- it still gets tangled or comes apart. And the difference between that dukkha as a characteristic and dukkha as a noble truth is significant. Yeah, because saying this is a characteristic. We're born into a dying system system that's subject to pain, dissolution, needs constant support to keep it going, otherwise it starts to feel pretty bad. Um, We're born into that, uh, and that's just one part of it. (laughs) Uh, And this is a characteristic, but he's saying it's also possible not to suffer because of this. And there's the difference. See, dukkha is a characteristic, it's just the we're called the sabhava, the dukkha of that which has been become, that which has taken form, that which has formed into manifestation, formed into entities. This forming is called the process of the five aggregates, um, which, uh, very briefly, those of you yesterday, but some of you probably were aware of this, the experience of form one's own form, internal form, form of other beings, visual form, tactile form, world of something that feels like an object that you can be with or, you know, or, or approaches you or touches you or bothers you. It's a manifest object, form. We have consciousness. Consciousness is always presenting forms to you. Here's a sound, here's a sight, here's a thought, here's a memory, here's a person, here's a bus, here's a dog, here's a this, you know. And even conceptual forms. Here's tomorrow. Here's the future. Here's yesterday. Here's another place. So consciousness is always presenting forms into awareness. These forms arise into awareness. Yeah? Um, as that occurs, um, other aggregates start to formulate around that. First is basically feeling affected some kind of resonance. If there's no effect, the form doesn't, doesn't take place. So I was saying yesterday to somebody, you know, uh, right outside the dining hall, 
right outside the dining hall, there's a tree. It's approximately 100, well, 70 feet tall. Never seen it. Because in coming in, you come in, you see the people, you see the shop, you see, and you actually probably see the little, whatever it is next to it, saying coffee, because <laughs> it's got words on it. You see that, you don't see this massive tree. It's there, and yet, because there's no contact, that experience didn't happen. That tree does not exist for you as a felt experience. So you neither liked it or disliked it, or had any opinion about it, you didn't even notice it. I'm sure the eyes cannot have moved down that path without that thing manifesting in the eye. It's massive. (laughs) But it's quite possible to not see it because of one other feature didn't occur. The mental feature of perception, of being affected by it, of being moved by it, being touched by it. Because perhaps when one came here, one was being affected by the sense of oh, going on retreat, that would be nice, yeah, yeah. get to the meditation, that would be good. One's affected by that. Or, oh, there's so-and-so, I haven't seen her for years, you know, great. Oh, it's Anjan, hello Anjan, you know, this kind of thing goes on. And that's not criticism, it's just a, a recognition that what makes contact is only a limited window on what's possible, possibly there. I can imagine if you were a tree expert, you might have walked in here and not even noticed there was a school. <laughs> and there's some funny beings scurrying around getting excited about it. But it's this amazing tree. And look at the bark. And look at Contact, perception. And perception yeah, is loaded. Yeah. So if you're a botanist, probably that tree s- sprang out at you. And funny human beings scurrying around you barely noticed far from them just getting in the way so perception is loaded by particular inclinations what we incline towards being interested in or delighted by or threatened by so perception is already a biased experience that formulates our experience When you see other people, what do you see? Generally, you see the face and the expression. The rest of it, just you know, a bit of hair around it. <laughs> Shape, it's female, it's male. Then you see the face, it's friendly or it's something. And of course, this can be very, uh, quite a fallacy. We get very easily duped by you know, expressions. Uh, yeah. People who manipulate. So anyway, perception, that's one of the formative experience. Then we relate to that experience. We find ourselves triggered by it. You know, we find ourselves moved by it. Delighted, frightened, strategize how to placate, how to keep that at bay, how to deal with that. A set of strategies synergies, activations occur, sankhara. So feeling, perception. Uh, Feeling is the sense of being affected, contact, and as that effect occurs, it can be mildly pleasant, slightly pleasant, agreeable, is a shift. Like the bell is struck. 
we resonate and the perception arises and then we get activated and we start to operate in accordance with that. So that's how the, our apparent reality is formed and structured. And the Buddha is saying, this is dukkha in the sense that it is always a partial, fragmented, biased take on what's going on. So it can never be complete, never fulfilled, never because it's only a facsimile, an approximation, a series of impressionist blurs. But if we take it as seeing solid and real, we find ourselves disappointed by it, challenged by it. Or it needs more to keep it going. So, and within that experience, because it's always some, it's always presenting a reality that actually asks something. Either we want to get more out of it, or we want to get less out of it. We want to be seen by it, or not seen by it. Yeah, we find ourselves already in a dynamic relationship with that. Clearly, most powerfully with other people. Mm-hmm. Make more of, make less of, change her, make him like this. How do I get on with her? How can I get closer to this one? How can I get further from that one? (laughs) Deal with this one, quiet that one down, liven that one up, you know. This is (laughs) what goes on, doesn't it, in subtler and grosser forms. Wow, this is a lot of work. And with somehow the kind of unspoken, perhaps, uh, notion, the end of the day we'll get it right. We'll iron out the waves of the sea. Well, uh, and then it doesn't quite work. You better push that iron a bit harder. Slap, slap, slap. It's getting choppier. And one's feeling more agitated. So, so then this is, this is dukkha as a noble truth. In other words, it's, it's, it's when we're beginning, suffering may not seem that noble to you. But the recognition of there's a particular activity that's happening here, a particular uh, relational activity of trying to make the unsatisfactory condition into the satisfactory one that is causing this stress. And actually, it's possible to refrain from that, that activity. As I was saying... Uh, yesterday, you know, you try this, you try that, you try this, and eventually it doesn't work. Whew, what relief. <laughs> Something drops into, well, I just have to accept, accept and be with that instead, you know. Uh, and, and then, not that's the end of the story, of course, but that's a shift. A shift can occur. Mm-hmm. nothing's under control relax and so this this is a step towards a reset because in that we um, our centre of 
awareness shifts from involvement with these aggregated experience into something more holistic, undivided, unformed. This possibility. Something that kind of embraces experience as it is. Internally, externally, both. Self, other. Embraces experience. Pauses, waits. And marvelously, from that turning towards experience, towards the manifestation, forms, sights, sounds, <coughs> beings, self, other, there's this natural rising of goodwill, loving kindness, compassion, clarity, wisdom. And naturally arising wisdom that's not just the intellect, has know-how, you might say, rather than knowledge. Has facility, has capacity to handle things rather than a set strategy of how things are going to be. And trust the capacity to handle experience rather than having a preformed strategy of what I'm going to do. I've got it all prepared and mapped out, and now I'm going to lay on that. That really what we take refuge in is in, in humanity, in our, in our humanness, in the essence of it. Which is our ability to just, well, try, see what happens. Agile, play with this, work with this, doesn't work, doesn't matter. So in this sense, then one enters the realm of experience without searching for results. So instead of that unspoken, imagined consequence of this is what will happen at the end of the day when I've done all my strategies, there's no, it's an empty space. This is what it would be like when I finally sought her or him or them out. Things would be nice and say, no, we rub out that. And say, this is what it's like to meet something, meet the chaotic, the unresolved, with a sense of kindness, compassion, willingness to be present with it. And we'll see what happens. So this is this is more the awakened response and it's through again to be come back to the classical configurations that instead of this often not clear craving for certainty for results for finality for the agreeable feeling for the sense of things just gliding along Instead of the craving for that, or the craving to be right, everything I do must be right. And if it's not right, then I'm going to pretend it's right. (laughs) And tell everybody else they got it wrong. So instead of that (laughs) craving to be in a righteous position, or righteous, willing to enter and mm, not have to be supreme or on top of everything, 
not to have that position, but just to be relating and clearing the craving, the ignorance, the opinionatedness uh, uh, that's latent in us. A tendency to form a self. To form a self. As either right or wrong, but the sense of, you know, that forming of a self, having a fixed position, forming a self. So, this wish, this search for selfhood, for mm, certainty or stability or mm, something like that, this search for the agreeable, the resolved, everything comfortable and fine, this search is, is, I call this the big groove, or the three big grooves, that our, all our micro habits run down. Whether your sense of your rut, or your habit is, I don't know, going to the football match once a week, or, um, you know, you're, that's habitual for you, or, your, um, your relationship to another person has been habituated, she's my this or that, you know. So you're, you get this one happens. So we get into these unconscious addictions uh, or fixities. But they all come down to this: these same things. We search for finality, uh, certainty, uh, conclusiveness, feeling on top, feeling we know, feeling we're separate from something and we've got it in our sights. So all this separates us from. Like an example, you know, uh, and this one feature of this is we in that we create or this quality creates objects now a very simple example to give something more concrete particularly animals very easy to see this yeah. so somebody is saying you know or these people are somewhere in China or Philippines eating dogs eating a dog eating a lamb okay <laughs> of course Eating a dog, terrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's... <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you get dog with a little coat on and he's got his special, you know, fifi doggy biscuits and he's got his own little place to live in. Um, yeah? And he's given names and he's given shampoos his tail and takes him to the hairdressers to get his ears frisked or something. Oh, this, this is a dog. Yeah. Yet uh, nasty slug. <laughs> so you know, animals tend to be either pets where an incredible amount of projection goes onto these pets as surrogate. This is the child who will finally obey you. <laughs> 
because the, the real ones don't. <laughs> you can't train them. But with dogs, you've got more chance than with kids. <laughs> so this is the one. <laughs> this is the partner who's not going to leave you. <laughs> Always looks at you with loving eyes as you walk in through the door. Great. You know, who needs humans anyway? Cantankerous critters. So we project a lot onto the doggy. Yeah? So there's that kind. It could be a cat, of course. Maybe a mouse, I don't know. Hamster. So I was saying the other to the community the other day, we had, I was in Ecuador and they, they eat guinea pigs. And the way they eat guinea pigs is that I guess they take all the fur off it and gut it and they stick it on a stick rather than a kebab and then roast it. Roast guinea pig, you know, so they go, ooh, a roast guinea pig. And, uh, of course, the, the, the horrible story was, I think it was an English woman or somebody, she had a pet guinea pig. She said, would you like to look after, like my guinea pig? Oh, yes, we like your guinea pig very much. Yeah, we look after that. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of months later, you know, how, how, was, how was Gilbert? Oh, Gilbert was great. We, we <laughs> tasted really good. <laughs> oh, Gilbert got stuck on a steak somewhere and roasted. You think, oh, ghastly. And yet, oh, lamb is okay, chicken is okay, ducklings okay, <laughs> but not a guinea pig. Because it's a different category, isn't it? Yeah. So animals are either cute little surrogate darlings or they're meat. And uh, when an animal becomes meat on legs, it is truly, some of it is really appalling. You know, creatures who never never lived outside a crate, they can't even turn round. So they just live their whole life stuck in a crate because they, people don't want them to move in case they develop too much muscle. You want flesh nice and soft. Yeah. So it's more tasty. And you, don't, you also don't need to have so much room then. You can keep 10 pigs at least, 15 pigs in a room like this, easy. Easy to feed, and you hose them down, and they don't, you know, and that happens, and teeth get sawn off without anaesthetics for pigs. Uh, tails get chopped off. Uh, ears get lopped. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that is, that is meat on legs. Yeah. And then comes into the butcher shop. Now it's no longer pig, it's pork. Pork cutlet. Oh, great, yeah, that's nice. And we don't really add up where it came from. Because that animal was food. And so that's so what we're saying, when something becomes an object, we project needs, qualities, fears onto it. It's objectification means that qualities that are really subjective, yeah, like my hunger or my psychological needs or appetites are projected onto the object who then becomes the object of the fulfilment of this particular mental or psychological or whatever it is attitude and you can look at that of course in in, um, human domain uh, racism uh, and uh, nationalism where people who don't speak your language are stupid. Um, people have different customs, are savage. 
uh, you know, savage barbarians. And, you know, this is appalling. And as we look through our history, you know, you really want to hang your head in shame at things that human beings do to each other because they see them as an object. Yeah. Clearly, holocausts, genocides, slavery, objects, people as functions, as commodities. This is gross, isn't it? And the amount of um, projection of what's really not belonging to that being at all, (laughs) not belonging to that being at all, it's coming from uh, our own uh, minds and attitudes, yeah. You know, demonization. So, in the, as you're probably half aware, uh, you know, a, in the human history, the witch hunts, 200,000 women executed, many of them burnt alive because somebody decided they were a witch. Right? You know? And then that was about two or three hundred years. And no matter what they say, oh, that's just she's just demonised. That's not true. And people would make up stories about them based upon their jealousy or their fear, or their gripe or something or the other. And so people would be burnt alive because of that. Yeah. An object that is a demon object. And these are gross, aren't they? Horrific. And to a certain extent, maybe some of that horror has receded but the fundamental sense of creating an object which is not even necessarily that conscious it's an an immediate perception I take her as this Uh I feel anxious therefore she's threatening me (laughs) I feel desirable I feel lustful therefore she's desirable yeah, and available right? this kind of thing happening and so really you know and then in that generation of an object these kind of horrible things because once something is an object then there is nothing that a human being will not do to another human being who they see as an object. If they see them as evil, they are quite willing to torture them and cause them incredible pain. They see them as evil, criminal, whatever. And it's not to say that people don't have, you know, unwholesome, unskillful tendencies, you know, but is there another response that could happen that could say, look, I have some pretty evil, uncriminal tendencies too. It's part of the kit (laughs) of being human. If I deal with mine, then maybe I'll be less kind of righteous about everybody else (laughs) and perhaps start to generate the qualities of firmness, clarity, compassion, restraint. Okay, this is appropriate. Then I could actually, you know, perhaps present that rather than the pointing finger. So... But, of course, the theme 
is that once we get rid of those evil, then things will be nice and peaceful and quiet and calm again. Because we're the good. So it's still that same trajectory. Those people who don't quite fit into my world, if we kind of wipe them out, then things would be... It's like how you can sail a boat around the islands of New Zealand and say, I claim these islands for the crown. Which, you know, Captain Cook, I claim those for the crown. It's like, there's people living on that thing. <laughs> I think some Aboriginal leader, when he came to Britain in the 1980s or 1990s, he sort of did a bit of a retake, and he, I think he walked on the Dover Cliffs and stuck his stick. He said, I claim this <laughs> island for the Aboriginal people. <laughs> and you, you know, you suddenly see it, like the uh, utter criminal absurdity. But then that perception, this is our territory, made it possible to either ignore or eradicate whole swathes of human beings who were you know, either getting in the way or needed to be re-educated into the proper way of the white Christian man. So take their children away from them so they don't, they, we can treat, treat, train them to be proper white children. So these kind of things, a person's an object. Doesn't fit in, we'll, we'll shift it, we'll change it. We're the right, we'll change the wrong. Out of compassion, we'll shape her into what I feel she should be. So these are gross, and I suggest that those tendencies are still there in the mix. And we perhaps, fought, I hope we don't act in such violent ways, but I'm sure to a certain extent those tendencies are operating. Not because there's anything really uh, (laughs) wrong apart from the aggregates. Now, the very quality of consciousness sets up this model this function of consciousness sets up the model of a divided reality. There's me in here, there's everybody else out there, I'm here, that's that. So how do I see them? How do I see her? How do I see him? How do I see that? How I see it is how it is. How I see it is how it is. Now what sets that up is consciousness. What does so consciousness sixfold sight, seeing consciousness, um, auditory consciousness, olfactory uh, sense of smell, gustatory sense of taste, tactile sense of body, body contact, and mental. Sixfold sense consciousnesses, six of them, and they are operating kind of in synergies, combining. We see something, we remember what it is. If we don't remember it, we don't really get it. We walk past the tree without seeing it, even though our eyes have surely made contact with that. So it's the mind, consciousness, 
synergizing or compartmentalizing or giving attention or formulating what is seen, tasted, heard, and so on. Yeah. So it's because these two, the mind itself doesn't have uh, uh, a way of uh, contacting sense con- contact, it interprets them. And it interprets, it interprets a selected uh, range of sense contact. Most of it's visual. We probably didn't come here following the scent. <laughs> visual, conceptual, auditory are probably the big ones and to a certain extent tactile. And so the mind sort of looks and selects pieces of information from those sense fields. Clearly there's a vast amount of things that could be seen and there's a certain selecting. That selecting is perception and it's a, this mix of intention. What are you looking for? Yeah. What are you searching for? What you search for is what you'll tend to see. What you're interested in is what you'll see. Yeah. Or you'll see, oh, that's not worth bothering with. That doesn't count. You'll dismiss a huge amount because it's such a vast field. Just look around here. Look at all the visual objects in this room. The planks, the knotting on the walls, the apparatus, the signs, the smiley face, the Buddha Rupa. <laughs> How much do you see? <laughs> yeah. The radiators, the plugs, the bags. You know, it's just studied with detail. How much do you see? Most of it you're filtering out. Don't see that. Don't bother with that. Leave that alone. It's nothing to do with me. I didn't come here for that. You see a slither of that, right? So the mind both selects, and that's quality called attention. You give attention to a certain range of things that give you a signal of, that's interesting, that's relevant, that's what I'm here for, that resonance feeling, perception, and then attention. Frame it up, frame it up, form a frame, attention. That's Sankara, contact, impression, feeling, perception, attention, frame it up, intention, go into it. <laughs> Find something in it. Uh, yeah. And start to formulate, start to assess it, uh, start working on it, see how you can make it this way or that way. That's the program. And it's how can this one be as comfortable and as agreeable as self-affirming as possible. How can this give me as clear, steady uh, foundation for my for my well-being as possible? The ropes aren't going to do it. Maybe this fellow up here might be of some use for a while. So, and this is not, you know, I'm kind of making slightly parodying it, but this is this reasonable. Once. You based it, your experience, upon the activity of consciousness. Now, something else you could base it upon, which we call, say, awareness or being conscious. 
means you're you're awake, you're attentive, you're not giving attention to anything particularly, it's just awake. And your basis you have a sense of presence. Whatever else is here, there's this subjective, very subjective, uh, intimate sense of being present. Hmm? There's a certain kind of ground, like an earth wire. Here we are. Now if you're basing it upon that, rather than what can I have, what does this mean, how does this feel, how will this become, what will it be the result of this, this is just being present. Okay, so then what? Stop. Careful of then what's, because then what is already looking for something. Just stay in that presence and see what <laughs> comes to you. And, yeah, though this we call, I call this meditation. See what arises, yeah, and abide in that place of not accepting, not adopting, not rejecting, and begin to experience through that, you know, you're kind of meeting things, meeting this phenomenal world of consciousness from a place of fairly open, no aims, no particular judgments, no particular hankering. You're meeting it in a kind of very neutral, open way. And then what kind of relationships do phenomena evoke in you? If you really sense them as they are, what do they evoke in you? And this is an open question. Interest? Mm-hmm. Attention? Mm-hmm. Resonance? Some, shock, some sense of being affected? Heart? Feel moved? Feel appreciative. Feel perhaps compassionate, sympathetic. Something senses perhaps it's better just to be take more time with this. Take more time. Cooling, calming, wisdom. Take more time with this. Let it unfold. Don't jump to conclusions. It's a process of restraint, wisdom. Let's really, before I jump on that one, let's see, let it unfold. See what, how it, what it does by itself. And how many of our stories were just kind of, I bet she shouldn't, well. How many of them just sort of do that? If you allow, allow them to. Oh, well, it's just another one, isn't it? Of those. And so we're not really removing from, uh, not creating objects out of phenomena, but 
you know, letting phenomena manifest in a way that encourages a more full, subjective, unpremeditated, unstrategized, natural response. What that would be, well, I couldn't name it because then we start to strategize it. <laughs> it kind of occurs with time. But essentially, they're saying, yeah, life remains the same old mess. What a delight. (laughs) (laughs) How curious. (laughs) And we notice, yeah, but the tree is really beautiful. And that was a lovely thing she said yesterday. And, you know. So instead of constantly orienting around the this sense of struggle with the unsatisfactoriness, which actually highlights it in our mind, we also get a sense of appreciating there's an outbreath. Ah, oh, that was good. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> you know, and that just helps to moderate our responses how much time do we find ourselves kind of stuck in a corner with the irresolvable problem and we're boxed in by it so you feel you've got to do something about this and well what you need to do about it perhaps is breathe out and wait and see what the openings occur and this begins to give us um, the sense of the, the wisdom faculty, the compassion faculty, however you want to put it, the faculty of heart, of jitta, of awareness, awakenedness, uh, moderates our responses from being reactive, from being strategized, from being learned, from being blurred, compulsive, uh, knee-jerk, with all the tragedies that can occur from that knee-jerk response. It changes that. It checks that. And it challenges, because then we don't know what to do. Because we haven't got a set of set strategies and set definite objects, and she's one of those, and that's that. We just don't know. And there's that disorientation. That's 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 the piece to travel through. And then you just find yourself breathing in and out, because that goes on. You find yourself having embodied presence because that goes on. So well, let's make much bit more of that then. Let's extend that. Let's deepen and enrich that. And linger with that. And open to that. Until energies change. Energies change. Things change. And then the world of the aggregates is no longer so tightly meshed Reality is no longer such an incredible seized experience. We see, we get to see openings. Yeah. We see other facets of people who we typified as this. We see other experiences happening in the day other than just this problem and the neighbours and so forth. We start to see sky, sun, a thought, a sense of blessing. You know, we our world opens from this rather narrowed down world 
that's generated through sense consciousness and the activations that it sets up and the subject-object split that always occurs with sense consciousness. I am the seer, that's the seeing. We are different, we are separate. That's what sense consciousness does. And yet, perhaps our greatest learning place, our greatest fruition place, you know, and you just take this as a, as a kind of small example, any, any time when that sense of separation, me and you, stops, and it can occur, suddenly we're just in dialogue, and we're in sharing, and we're in something, and the boundaries have dissolved, we feel really happy and rich. And we don't have to have a strategy. We can flow. And this definitely is, is a, you know, a human experience. Heart arises. If it were not for that, just imagine just the range of greed, hatred and delusion that would be around and the, the activities that that could justify if there were not heart, if there were not the ability to love, generosity, sharing, listening, saying I'm sorry, let's try again. You know, if there were not that sense of, you know, dropping, releasing the subject, releasing the object from these attitudes, and fixities and recognizing uh, you know this is another piece of the unresolved experience pause something to be learnt here something to be open to here something to be expand awareness into here something to not jump to conclusions search for results see what occurs and heart comes up this is our primary gift as humans. And within that, you know, the sense consciousness, you begin to, a reorientation occurs as you get a sense of more dispassion towards the sense consciousness world. Wherever if you go, wherever you are, it's, you can abide in something that's pretty much the same place. So there's a great sense, strange sense of security that occurs. Not security in the world of sense consciousness, but by security in being aware of its paradigms and how to operate within it. You come out of the grooves, out of the ruts, into behaviors that can be more fruitful, uh, ennobling, uh, truly human the best of the human. So, this is kind of, you know, the model. 